Hey, Chelsea, what's in the news these days? Hmm, let's see. I, I came across a few of them. Summarize both of them. I would say it is space sustainability. Which has been a problem since at least the late 90s. Probably <laughs> since as long as we've been shooting anything into space. Yeah, space is big. You don't need to worry about that. That's yeah, literally so... a Futurama episode. Just shoot it into space. You're fine. Exactly. And then you never have to worry about it again until you want to go into space lots. So a few articles that I have are a space junk multiplies. Pentagon is stuck tracking it for civilians. The Pentagon has put itself in charge, I guess, of tracking all the space debris that's put up into space. So this includes satellites. This includes anything that's crashed in space and now is kind of... Uh, sorry, can I add one thing uh, there? There's, uh, there's a specific reason the Pentagon put itself in charge of this. And that okay. is by satellites. They do not want anybody to know where they are at any given time. So they don't want anybody else to be in charge of tracking. Wouldn't China all be the same, bad. though? In theory. And they know exactly where all those satellites are. But they don't want civilians to be in charge of tracking all this stuff because they are keeping a lot of these satellites top secret. So it's funny that you say that because this article that I was reading says private industry is launching at a pace with which the military space surveillance system can't keep up. Now lawmakers yeah. say the Commerce Department's fix is running late. This article kind of went into the fact that it's being privatized. So private companies are going up into space. So right now, they put themselves in charge back when there was only two countries that were in space. And now there's more and more countries going up into space. Now they're not able to keep up with the amount of stuff that's going up into space. So essentially, when they were seeing a collision coming, they would contact them being the Pentagon would have to contact the country in which was in danger of being hit by another yeah. space debris. And and they were having to do it. And now they're seeing the privatization. So Trump actually passed a bill where they're seeing a lot of because they've had a change in administration. Now they've kind of taken a back seat to it because they had another change in the space program because of it. So they kind of said, you know what, here's a bunch of money to fund you. But the Pentagon saying this kind of needs to be outsourced at this point to be able to track it because there's so much up there. So I thought that was interesting. And then I kind of yeah. took well, a look. And another part of that is, is they don't, again, want that information to be foyable. That's true. About what they're tracking. So they would rather it not be in government hands. That's a lot of these things where it's top secret. They don't want people to be I mean, to... that makes sense. And it's funny because there are amateur astronomers out there who do track spy satellites in the night sky. Hmm. But a big part of what needs to be oh. talked about is the fact that there's no real regulation on who can be in space. Plus they privatized it now. Yeah, and, and modern day Anne Rand, Elon Musk, is currently launching 46,000 satellites into space to uh, act as internet service for the world, which he's going to charge a hand yeah. arm leg for. Mm -hmm. It's called Starlink. 46,000 satellites once it's done. It's going to make up a very large amount of what's in the sky. Astronomers pissed because it's going to make ground-based telescope use basically useless because wow. it's too bright. But yeah, nobody's regulating him. So he just says whatever. There's no regulation. Yeah. And then uh, basically from what I could put together, it's up to the country where you're launching this from to kind of regulate it. So everything's being moved away from the U.S. And they've been launching everywhere, including out of international waters. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. So, I mean, that's kind of an important thing. So. And then to do with this, I got thinking of that rocket that China just put up into space, which is the Long March 5 rocket, which is currently being heavily criticized because of the irresponsibility of China, because it obviously came down. And China kind of said, well, we don't know where it's going to land. It'll probably uh, the land in the ocean. Water. Mostly water. Yeah, they said it's it'll probably water, land probably in the Siberia. ocean. And it became uncontrollable and they couldn't predict where it would crash back down to Earth. And it ended up crashing down on the Ivory Coast, I think it was. But it was a huge thing. And so right now, according to the European Space Agency, there's about 6,900 of 1,100, 370 satellites placed into Earth orbit 
that are still circulating with about 4,000 functioning, but the number of debris objects regularly tracked by space surveillance networks stands at 28,160. And the discrepancy and is accounted for by more than 560 breakups, explosions, collisions, or anomalous events resulting in fragmentation. You said they can only track about 20-some thousand. I didn't say how many they can track. Is that what I said? I thought you did. Yes, sorry. 28,160. Yes, that's the and number how that many, the regular truck. how many satellites did I just say Starlynx is launching? A lot. 46,000. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? You even look at that and how much is already up there. Yeah. And a and lot of these are dead satellites. None of them yeah. are working. They're just caught in orbit and nobody cares to bring them down. No, there's no money in actually doing anything about them. But if one of those hits anything... It basically becomes a crapshoot of what's going to get hit. And these mm-hmm. aren't evenly distributed around the Earth in some like perfect sphere just above the Earth. There are orbits that more naturally fit to things staying up there for a while. Mm-hmm. So it's more narrow bands that all of these thousands of items actually survive in. But you did talk about orbit of the Earth. When we're specifically talking about satellites, it's actually near Earth orbit that we talk about because that's where they find that these things can stably orbit. Lower Earth orbit, right? Near Earth orbit, yes. And one of the solutions to all the problems that they're going to be seeing coming sooner rather than later is to just move into mid-Earth orbit, which is about a thousand kilometers away. Doesn't solve the problem, it just puts it off until a later date. Well, that's exactly it. And it really just traps us even more If everything's going into space... I mean, it's something that has to be dealt with. And it brings up a lot of issues because this is obviously a new issue for becoming a spacefaring race where we've already made a mess of space. And I thought it was so interesting. And then they go on to say that the big problem's not the big satellites that no nope. longer work. It's when the big satellites that no longer work hit something and turn into much smaller fragments that not only can be tracked, but because they're moving at such high speeds. They are supersonic bullets. A tiny little, they said there was a tiny little paint chip about you know, an inch that went through on one. It wasn't the space space station. I think it was one of Tesla's space rockets where they oh, they Tesla. got a warning. To, they had to strap up because there was some debris and it yeah. went through two layers of their three layers of the windshield of glass. Yeah. And it was a tiny little fragment. And it said that these little fragments alone can take out an entire spacecraft and yeah. bring it down. There was just a portion of the International Space Station was taken offline because it was hit by space debris. This was just last yeah. week. It, thankfully, it was just an arm. If it, if anything else had been hit, there could have been people that died. Yeah, It's pretty crazy to think about. And you think about where our civilization is going. It might be a business venture to go in and take out all this debris. However, I have no idea how you would do it. Well, and we're going to be talking about recycling today. There is what's called rare earth elements that are required to make the things that we're putting into space. They're called rare earth because they are hard to come by. Once they become basically not viable anymore to find them or mine them, mm-hmm. they might actually have to resort to getting them back from what we're putting into space. Now, it's trace amounts in there, but it, wow. there's literally none on Earth anymore because we keep sending stuff into space and there's finite amounts of materials and, here. And it's not something that we think about being mostly here on Earth. As we go more into the future, obviously, see, it was a huge thing with the privatization of space. More and more, we're going to be looking to going into space. So it's definitely something that's going to affect us. And we have all this. We've already made a dump out of space. Essentially, we're just sending it up and we're not caring about it because we're, you know, it's not right in front of our face. Well, and not you can that- see that. Watch the first moon landing. Basically, all the videos of how we get rockets into space. We have first, second and third phases of the launch where they just drop pieces of the aircraft to float away it's just like when we go into it's other responsible it's just like what is it chevron that went into ecuador and it wasn't right in front of their face in their own country that they treated it like garbage <laughs> dumping oil into the amazon <laughs> but they have here it says that if there is even a little bit of a collision that is going to make entire areas of space unusable if they create yeah. a crowd of dangerous debris so Yeah. And a lot of the the stuff we send into space, it doesn't have any propulsion systems. Like we leave them there to do their own thing. They have they have minor 
ways of adjusting themselves. Worry about it later. But if anything gets hit, suddenly that thing's trajectory is also changed and it it screws everything up. But with that, do you want to get started on this episode? Let's get started. Okay. Music. From the unexplained to the mundane, why don't you come join us on our journey to the fringe? Welcome to Journey to the Fringe. I am one of your co-hosts today. My name is Taylor. Beside uh, I'm me the other in one. video only is Chelsea. Say hello, Chelsea. Hey. Chelsea, have you had to throw anything out today? Yeah, throw a lot of stuff out all the time. Okay, was any of it recyclable? Yes, I'm very okay. big on recycling. Okay, Throw that's a good. lot of recycling into the recycling. When you say that, what exactly is the process of recycling these days? Um, and I just mean from your end. Well, what I do is I wash it and then I put it into a bag. And then I take it downstairs, the recycling area, and I sort it. Paper, others, never styrofoam. They don't recycle styrofoam. Glass. Okay. Like hard plastics and soft plastics, you can't do that here either. Well, I know in a lot of the world, and Vancouver does get a little bit better than a lot of places. Mm-hmm. They've made it incredibly convenient so that there is one bin for recycling. You take all of your things, you put it in this magical thing, hoping that you will in fact guessed right and that thing is recyclable, and you throw it into the big recycling container, and that gets taken away. And you have done your part for society. Yeah. There is a big problem with how we treat recycling in the world. Today we're going to talk about that. Some might consider this a political episode. I don't think it's political, but it is a thing out there that does need to be talked about, so we're going to. I'm going to start with a bit of a history. We're going to focus heavy on plastics today. We are going to talk a bit about pretty much everything that does get recycled, but we're going to focus big on plastic because that is the biggest problem. From there, we're going to talk about Some changes, specific points in time that are important to this timeline. We're going to talk about international trade, and we're going to talk about what that actually means for what's in front of us. Let's do it. Okay. Without further ado, plastics really get their starts right around the end of World War II. It was basically designed as something that would be lightweight and durable to be used in war. But as it was being developed, the war had ended. So we needed to find a new place to actually sell these wonderful genius ideas of Mm. science. Just so we are clear, plastic is a genius idea. It is durable and you can make it in basically any shape you want. A lot of those good qualities are also reasons why it's not great for the environment. But... After the military end of market fell through after World War II, what happened is they started to market it more to the people coming home and this economic flourishment that was occurring in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s in the U.S. And there is a PR campaign selling to families something called the Disposable Society. And it is hilarious. I just need to share with you some of these advertisements that people used oh my god old school advertisements or something else so there is the disposable society that's nice and this is being advertised to a generation in the world that tried to throw nothing out and there's stories about people when the plastic was first introduced being kind of well they were first of all washing everything so they had to be taught that this is meant to be thrown away. And these advertisements are talking about the objects flying through the air in this picture would take 40 hours to clean, except that no housewife need bother about the resource saving and time that this is going to be doing for everybody. And really, it makes sense from a marketing standpoint to get people to buy something consistently is much better for your bottom line than just having them buy it once and continuously washing it. Oh, yeah. And especially it's not the same quality as plates or anything like that. So if you're going to be washing it, why not buy the plates anyway? So they had to sell them this way. Also, it is a futuristic material. It's the material of the future. So people also bought it for that reason. But there are a lot of advertisements exactly like this saying, no, you can just throw it all out. Don't worry about it. Advertising is a powerful thing. It really is. So this actually was quite popular for about this did catch on as the way of the future. People loved it. And like, I think you remember going to like family barbecues when we were little and oh, yeah. it's all the big plastic plates. It's still a thing, really. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't well, want to say this yeah. episode may change it for me forever. But any barbecue I go to maybe years ago now. <laughs> <laughs> a lot, a lot oh, God, year. what a day. <laughs> 
But most of them still do that just because then you just throw it out and you don't have to worry about anything else. Oh, yeah. And that's the big thing is the convenience of plastic. Yeah. The problem of that being is plastic is because it is a hardy material doesn't break down like it does break down, but it always stays in strands of plastic that won't break down and they'll get down to the microscopic level. Yeah, but it doesn't. Uh, what's the word like? Uh, decompose. Decompose. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's getting to such a crisis point in the world that they estimate on the average North American will ingest about a credit card's worth of plastic every week. Wow. Just from what we eat, what we drink, and what we breathe. That can't be good. No. Also bad in the oceans, but that's a completely different story. I'm just going to talk about that part a little bit later Uh. on. So people did buy into this policy, but by in the 1960s, it really started to kind of catch up with society, looking around, seeing this garbage everywhere. People did actually start to protest. And in 1969, they had the first national conference on packaging waste. And it went from September 22nd to September 24th, 1969, was held at UC Davis, and it was sponsored by the Packaging Industry Advisory Committee. Protest? In it. And you can find this document. It's widely available. It's hard to read because it's from the 60s and there's no like internet version of it. You have to find the original pictures of it. But in it, in the summary, they basically say the conference focused attention essentially on defining and clarifying the many problems related to the accumulation and disposal of packaging waste generated by an exploding population and marketing trends which have led to a wide variety of convenience consumer packaging and similar professional industrial disposable packages, all of which are increasingly made of materials that won't burn, break, crush, degrade, or dissolve, ending in an exclamation mark. Basically, from here, they don't know what they're going to be doing because they know that this thing, is, it can't be broken down, and it's very hard to recycle. From here... We really start to see something kind of flourish in the 1970s. In 1970, they had the first Earth Day. And in response to this, there is a video put out by the Keep America Beautiful Foundation. Very good policy to follow. Whenever you see a very PR name, there is a very bad company behind the name. The Keep America Beautiful Foundation came out with a commercial that came out in 1971, colloquially called The Crying Indian. And you probably have seen this commercial, Chels. It is oh, the, yeah. Yeah, it is the Indian who sheds a single tear for yeah. the garbage that falls at his foot. It also turns out the guy playing the Indian is actually a second generation Italian immigrant. Wow. And I do apologize for using the term Indian. It is just how it was termed at the time. Yeah. We're talking about historical sense here. So from this, Keep America Beautiful was founded in 1953 by the American Can Company and the Owen, Illinois Glass Company, who were later joined by the likes of Coca-Cola and Dixie Cup Company. In the time leading up to the first Earth Day in 1970s, environmental demonstrations across the U.S. focused on the issue of throwaway containers. All these protests held industry, not consumers, responsible for the proliferation of disposable items that depleted natural resources and created a solid waste crisis. Enter the Crying Indian, a new public relations effort that incorporated ecological values but deflected attention from beverage and packaging industry practices. Keep America Beautiful practiced a sly form of propaganda. Since the corporation behind the campaign never publicized their involvement, audiences assumed that the group was a disinterested party. The crying Indian provided the guilt-inducing tear that the group needed to propagandize without seeming propagandistic and countered the claims of a political movement without seeming political. At the moment the tear appears, the narrator in a baritone voice intones, people start pollution. People can stop it. By making individual viewers feel guilty and responsible for the polluted environment, the ad deflected the question of responsibility away from corporations and placed it entirely in the realm of the individual, Uh. of individual action concealing the role of industry and polluting the landscape. Up until that point, people did feel there was a duty on companies to take care of the life cycle of a product, which included how it would land in the landfill. You know what? You would think that as a consumer that the duty is on that. But the more I go through life, the more I realize that the big corporations are the ones that don't give a shit about anything. Oh, they They care about the bottom line. 
yeah. care about the bottom line and they they take advantage wherever they can make money. They don't care about the earth. They don't care about people. They care about money. But and this is a big part of this, the crying Indian commercial is the focus was more so on everything but plastic, because up until this point, plastic was still considered unrecyclable. Right. Uh, for a couple decades, this does seem to work. But in the mid 80s, there becomes another outrage. And it's really that plastic is everywhere at this point. And I know you definitely remember this back in going into elementary school. What, what do they teach us? Very early on and for a long time. Tried to teach me a lot of things. Yes. But Thank they you. they teach you first off, don't do the drugs because Reagan said don't do the drugs. Yeah. In very circular logic, exactly like that. And then yeah. they tell you about this magical triangle that you don't need drugs to enjoy. And it is the recycle triangle. Reduce, or, reuse, yeah. and recycle. Reduce, yes. reuse, and recycle. Yes. I did learn something. There you go. The three R's of sustainability, more or less. Now, emphasis was really placed on the third R, which is recycle. And I don't fully remember, because this was so long ago, this was a big push in the 80s and the 90s, that there was ever an emphasis placed on the other two. But they are listed in order of importance based on how it actually should be done. Now that I'm repeating it back to myself, yes, you would think it is. But if you talk to anybody these days, what do they focus on? Cycle. And that I will, is... I would say just from my answer at the beginning of this very thing, we are very big on recycling. Yeah. Very diligent about the recycling. So, and this is key here. It may have sounded like an environmentalist message, reduce, reuse, recycle, but the ads were paid for by the plastic industry made up of companies like Exxon. Hey, we know this one. Chevron, Dow, oh. DuPont and their lobbying and trade organizations in Washington. Industry companies spent tens of millions of dollars on ads and ran them for years promoting the benefit of a product that for the most part was buried, was burned, or in some cases wound up in the ocean. Chelsea, I need you to look at those plastic things that you had brought for this episode. Okay, I have three of them. Okay, perfect. I just, I the just took one. the recycling down yesterday, so I just... Okay, do you see a magic little triangle on one of them? Yeah. What is that logo? It's the Reduce, Reuse, Recycle. It says Pete. Is there a number in the middle? One. So with this Reduce, Reuse, Recycle. Okay, and tell me the yogurt one as well. Is that on there? Oh, it's not on there. It should be on there. I have a tofu one. This one says five. It's tofu. Okay, so. No, but there's not one on this one. There should be. It should be a five as well. It might be under the label. Continue talking. I'm going to work on this. Okay. So with this push for reduce, reuse, recycle, the interesting thing about this logo that they uh, they came up with for recycling is that it was public domain and there was a lobbying effort in the U.S. Industry documents from this time show that just a couple of years earlier, starting in 1989, oil and plastics executives began a quiet campaign to lobby almost 40 states to mandate that the symbol appear on all plastics, even if there was no way to economically recycle it. Some environmentalists also supported the symbol, thinking it would help separate plastics. That logo that you see yeah. is, in fact, not a recycling logo. What's it for? And because it is public domain, they just shared a lot of the qualities that that triangle happened to have. And that is what is called a resin identification code. Of the resin identification codes, there are seven. How many do you think are recyclable? Uh, I want to say all of them, but I feel like that's very naive of me. About two and a half. Wow. Five sometimes in very rare circumstances. And why and do they one let us recycle two, all of them? One time, two times at most. Okay, so what does this stand for? They are the different kinds of plastics it's made with. So resin identification. Okay. Basically, the different way the plastic is used tells you whether or not it is recyclable. Outside of that, I do not know because I don't ever have to use plastics for the purpose. You know what? I thought this was how many times it had been recycled prior to getting to me to this. Yeah, not not even close. (laughs) I don't know why I thought that. I thought yeah, I learned no, that. No, that it was intentional lobbying to make it seem like it was recycled or recyclable. I thought I learned that somewhere. So mm. ones and twos are recyclable. And I use that term loosely 
because recyclable is supposed to mean a cycle that is continuous, but you can only recycle them once, maybe twice. And then the polymers in there are no longer usable because they've shortened too much and they have to be thrown out. How would they, like, know that, though? Like, I put this in a bin. Because those things are not getting turned back into the same thing. They're getting turned back into something of a lower quality. And this was a big thing in the reduce, reuse, recycle time was they would make um, park benches outside of stores, out of plastic bags. And they'd say, look, we're reusing all this plastic. When in reality, those park benches cost thousands of dollars more than the equivalent counterpart. And it could never be used again because the polymers have been shortened too much. A lot of this happened during this time. Basically, they would set up plastic recycling factories that only stayed open for about three years and then would go bankrupt because the companies no longer cared because pressure was off. People weren't worried about plastic as much. And they had put the onus on the consumer once again. But it's not their fault the plastic's out there. It's your fault for not recycling. Yeah, it doesn't seem to even make a difference. And it does a little bit. I promise I will give you some steps that are usable at the end of this. Okay. And I am not saying right now. Somewhere to actually give those tips instead of just ending the episode and we never talk about it again. No, we will talk about it. Don't worry. And I am not saying don't recycle. If anything, you are now more knowledgeable. If that triangle has a one or a two on it, recycle it. If it has any other number on there, probably throw it in the trash. And that feels awful to say, but it is the right answer. And I'm going to tell you about that at the end again. Okay. Okay. This timeline lines up very nicely with, how do I put this? China entering the market for plastic. Oh, no. Like It's going to go bad. Like I was saying, those one, two, and fives are kind of recyclable. Those fives. Five, okay. One, two, five. Five, I say kind of, don't worry about it now though, is because it really depends on what the market is for it at the time. Because plastic is incredibly cheap to just make over and over again from oil. For (laughs) a recycling market to actually be viable, you need to have a competitive price for the extra product. Five is rarely reusable because a lot of its stuff ends up being very expensive to get to market. Enter China. China is shipping a lot of cargo to North America and coming back with empty ships. And their markets are burgeoning. They need all the resources they can possibly get. So they realize their plastic is very expensive there. They're bringing back these empty ships. Why don't we send all of this trash, sorry, plastic recycling to China? They can sort it, they can have the plastic, they can use it in the products and send it back to us as products again. China has done this for 30 years and from 1988 to 2016, they accepted somewhere around $81 billion worth of plastic waste. Wow. Uh, It roughly makes up about 45% of the plastic that was recycled in the world at that time. Okay. But there's a couple important things about this. We are sending over the plastic. And this is about the time where really during this time, at least we moved from multiple bins where everybody was responsible for sorting their own recycling to a kind of what our system I still work under is, is just put it all in the bin. We'll get it sorted out later. Hmm. The only reason it's really viable there is first off, because they have cheap labor So they can have people manually sort this stuff to find the actual good plastic that can be recycled from everything else that needs to be removed from it. Because if there is any taint within any of the plastic, it will destroy the load of production. Oh, sounds complicated. So, yeah, they actually basically just sorted everything to what we could recycle and sent the rest off to China. And that meant they got a lot of the crappy stuff. What they couldn't use, they would either burn because there were valuable resources attached to the plastic so they would burn the plastic or they would just dump it in the river china continued doing this until two sometime in the 2010s i didn't write this date down but sometime in the 2010s china stopped accepting plastic that had more contamination than one percent up until that point they said we would take anything that had less than 40 percent contamination and that means less than 40% is usable as plastic. Or sorry, more than 60% or more had to be usable plastic. After that date, it went down to 1%. And then in 2018, 
China stopped accepting garbage from the rest of the world. This was a big hit on both Canada and the US and pretty much the world. And this is kind of a hilarious situation if it wasn't so sad. There would be garbage coming from, let's say, Newfoundland, just to get as far away as possible. That would be loaded onto a truck, driven across Canada to the coast, shipped to China to be reused as plastic to be shipped back across the world. It is incredibly inefficient and it is incredibly wasteful of resources. Yeah, but I mean, at that point, at least it's being reused into something. It's not being just like burned into the environment where it really doesn't ever. Yeah, and that's when you're talking about recycling, there there are really two points that need to be taken into account. It is the material, but it's also the energy that's used to remake the thing, too. And if the energy that you're outputting to bring that thing to be reused is greater than just making that same thing, you got to take into account what that difference would be and whether or not it's actually worth recycling. Yeah, and it can, but it can be a sad not, point. But at the same that... time, when you're looking at things like paper, there is a point where paper is unusable as a recyclable material, but that's okay because we can compost that. True. But when it comes to plastic, plastic is there for life. And we are only going to get one more use out of it. Exactly. But at least you're reusing it and you're not just putting it into the environment where it's never going to break down. Yeah. Oh, that's disturbing. Um, And this is what I call this. And it happens a lot in our world. It's um, the obfuscation of what's happening. And this is really it's muddying the waters about what the actual answer is. And it was before. People were pissed off because plastic was just sitting there. We weren't doing anything about it. And now, really, if you look outside in the streets, yeah, there's still plastic out there. There's plastic in our waters. There's plastic everywhere. But people Hmm. feel like they're doing something. And it's really hard to say whether or not this is helping and to what extent. But people don't feel the need to actually be out there and protesting that nobody's doing anything about this plastic problem. No. And this is Larry Thomas, the president of the Society of Plastics Industry, said in the 1980s, if the public thinks that recycling is working, then they're not going to be concerned about the environment. And this was their exact plan for the reduce, reuse, recycle. So it was a marketing plan. It was exactly a marketing plan. It's the follow up to the crying Indian. You know what? You know what I remember the most from that that I think I'm... This is a little bit off topic, but also on topic. I think The Simpsons did a spinoff on that. They did. They moved the town. Yeah. Steve Martin's in that episode, too. It's a good episode. I can't remember the episode. I just remember. Oh, is it? Yeah. (laughs) I think that's what I'm remembering more than anything in The Simpsons. During this time, the third world starts to get upset that the fact that the first world is offloading its garbage problem and recycling problem onto the third world and they bring this strife to the un and they pass what's called the basel convention and in 1992 they tried to pass a rule that basically said wealthy countries can't ship waste to poor countries without the poor country's consent we were and doing 19... other countries consent yes and what? i got no for you china was consenting to it well i so maybe that's... and in They're... 1995 They passed another part of the Basel Convention which said that you cannot ship toxic materials for waste disposal. At least they tried to. Four countries blocked it. Do you want to guess who? China? No, China didn't. They actually were okay with it. This is them coming into the developed world. I don't know. It is Canada, New Zealand, Australia, and Japan. Okay. Actually, if I thought really hard, I probably could have guessed that. Yeah. Who's missing from that? The U.S., who you would think, yeah. oh, wow, that's a good move by them. No, they never signed on to the Basel Convention. So just, <laughs> they were even further behind everybody else. What was Canada's reason for this? Well, they said it would impact the trade of materials destined for recycling facilities operating in an environmentally sound manner if they were found in the developing country. However, once recyclables leave our shores, we have no control over whether they are recycled at a proper facility or burnt. Mm. What? Yeah. That's uh, at about this time. First world country would say. And about this time, Canada is keeping about 80% of its plastic recycles, but the rest of it is going overseas. And they say that ends up being about 2,500 containers on ships full of plastic. I use the term plastic loosely. 2,500. That's like a lot per day. That's that's a fairly significant portion of a uh, ship. 
on the sea. Yeah. In 2016, Canada took a big step and required exporters of waste to receive a permit before shipping waste. And no permits had been issued as of 2019. So in 2016, Canada said that we're going to crack down on this and we're going to be not issuing these permits for exporting waste. This had little to no impact on Canada's actual exporting of garbage. And it's a very simple answer to why. One, they just mislabel what's being sent out. So if garbage can't be sent out, guess what? It's labeled as something else. Two, this didn't stop export to the U.S. And they would sell to a third-party recycling middleman in the U.S. who is more than free to ship it to anywhere they want in the world because they're not part of the Basel Convention. Now, in 2018, a huge ripple was felt in the recycling world when China stopped taking in this waste. And sorry, this is just a little bit of information. Canada exported 101,131 tons of plastic waste in 2018. Much of it went to American recycling brokers who then resell it to overseas companies. When Canadian waste enters the U.S., it is not tracked, so where it ends up is a mystery. Reportedly, it is often mixed with American waste and sent to Asia. So essentially what they're doing is they're sending, United States is sending this stuff to countries that didn't say yes, they want it. They either say yes, they want it, or it's cheap enough to sort it there. And we get to a point here where these countries don't actually want it, but they are corrupt enough that that doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean... Now enter Malaysia, who in 2016 took 168,000 tons of garbage, but in the first six months of 2018, took 456,000 tons in the first six months because China had closed its factories to international trade. Malaysia took over. Malaysia is so tiny compared to China. Yeah, I know. And tiny islands. Canada's containers were among 60 that Malaysia says were imported illegally from 14 different countries, including the United States, Japan, France, Australia, the United Kingdom. So come, I believe this is 2019, there was a big scandal. And you can see the headlines. Malaysia complains to Canada about illegal waste showing up at their docks. Philippine I remember something yeah. and i don't know if this is malaysia where they had turned something around to come back to canada yeah and this is exactly it the philippines is did the it? same thing yeah that's like so crazy and there's yeah. so many people i hope listening to this episode that you're doing what you think is your part with sorting things out or putting it in the bin yeah. thinking that it's being dealt with just like we I would get to an answer, I promise you. Yeah. But if you can't wait for an answer, reduce and reuse are the answers. Yeah. Short answer. So with so many international countries closing their doors to this trade, Malaysia is trying to do that. All these countries are trying to do it because they've realized a lot of these countries have national medicine, which gets strained because all these people are get, getting sick and cancer from dealing with both the fumes and the muddied waters. That's exactly why China got rid of it. First off, because it got too expensive to pay their employees. Next off, because they were all getting sick. Next off, because they ruined all their water sources. When all these places shut their doors, the price of dealing with recycling skyrockets. And this is just one example. In 2008, the city of Lake Worth, Florida, signed a contract with Waste Management where the city was paid $10 per ton of single stream recycling that is collected. Single stream being it all goes into one dumpster. Multi stream is what you have where it's pre-sorted before it goes anywhere. They get $10 per ton of single stream recycling. In 2018, when the contract was up for renewal, the terms had shifted to the city paying waste management $85 a ton instead. Oh. So it went from being a profitable industry to have companies take away your recycling to you have to pay people to take away your recycling. Yeah. This city itself decided to change to what's called a dual stream system, which means there is some pre-sorting. I'm just wondering if I can just interject here, at what point does a government not intervene with somebody coming up with a campaign slogan saying reduce, reuse, recycle with the emphasis on recycle to it costing countries, well, I guess up to a certain point. Well, up until this point, what has you're it actually having, cost the U.S.? Yeah, if you're having to outsource it, it seems just like a, a massive 
No, everybody was making money. And that's the interesting part because these people who were shipping it to China, they were shipping for very reduced prices on those ships because those ships had to go back to China to bring back to North America these products. The labor is really cheap over there. It took them a lot of years to figure out that it was polluting. It was no longer worth it. And everything. But why doesn't the government step in on something like that? I mean, even now we see such a poor, this being the case, we see, I, this looking at what's happening now, it seems to be on the consumer side of people making any sort of effort to do the words, like uh, the stores that have the no plastics where you go, you like refill everything. Oh, yeah, the refill stores. Not corporations. And why would the government not step in and say, you know what, this is costing us money at this point. Like plastics are, we're not going to do them anymore. And even when you look at stores where you can go refill things with shampoo or whatever. Yeah, the refill stores. It often costs more money than just going and buying something that has plastic in it. That's kind of the weird part of this argument is like, what do you mean by government? Because a lot of these things... Recycling is covered at the municipal level in a lot of places. Yeah. It's not really something that is federally regulated. Putting a problem onto another country that can't, like, readily deal with it. Yeah, but that that becomes an international thing that they don't worry about because everybody's making money off it. It's just like space at the beginning when we're talking about it. Like, it doesn't affect somebody right now. We can just put it somewhere else and then somebody else can think about it. That's just such a horrible attitude. With this entire system, they estimate that about 8 million tons of plastic end up in the world's ocean each year, which is about one dump truck full per minute being dumped into the ocean. Oh, that's so awful. A lot of people I've heard when they talk about this say that Asia needs to get their act in order. But having heard this, it is not just Asia for we are putting our problem there. I wouldn't say that Asia would be, if I was to guess, and I have completely no knowledge about this, just putting that out there right before I say it, I would say that North America is probably, all the first world countries are probably the number one contenders of putting all this plastic into the ocean and putting it anywhere else. Yeah, but it's coming from their countries. So people don't see the problem directly. They see it indirectly. And how did you actually know before that 2019 article from Malaysia that we were shipping our garbage to other countries? No. I didn't. No. But yeah, just Canada alone, 101,000 tons. I guess somebody did a good job on their um, PR. Yeah, the plastic yeah. industry is very good at PR. Yeah, well, all of those companies are very good at PR. Like, look at Chevron on the Ecuador episode that we did. Yeah. Go back and listen to the Ecuador episode. <laughs> but yeah, and about this time, too. This is just kind of an anecdotal one I noticed. This is where cities started to move back to you need to sort your recycling a little bit. Mm -hmm. Because they were finding with single stream recycling points, about 25% of the things that ended up in there end up being contaminants. And that comes from something called wish cycling. And it's when you don't know, you think it's safer to put it in the recycling bin because you feel that it's better for the environment. Which is very incorrect. It absolutely contaminates everything. You're putting like um, people in charge of it. Yeah. It's like everyday people who don't really know. They're just giving a piece of paper that say it. They're not trained in it or anything. And one of the hardest times is Christmas because there's even wrapping papers you can't recycle and there's wrapping paper that you can recycle. Like, what What the hell? Yeah. Like, why are you making different wrapping papers that you can and can't recycle? Like, just yeah. make it all recyclable. Or but, not. Chelsea, at least you've got the sorted containers where you are. So you feel confident that what you're putting in there is getting recycled, right? Not anymore. But yeah, okay. I was. So CBC did an inquiry into this and they bought nine tons of plastic and gave it to three different recycling middlemen. And this is what happens is the truck shows up at your place, picks up all the recycling, gets it sorted, or it goes back to a place, and it's then sold to recycling brokers who take it and either sell it to somebody who wants it, or store it, or do whatever with it. They sold to three different recycling middlemen, 
only one of the three actually ended up in a recycling facility. Wow. One of them sent it to a waste-to-energy facility where it was burned, and one sent it right to a dump. I've, I don't even know how to react at this point, because this is something that we pay for. Yep. And I feel like it's something that we pay for, and probably a small percentage of people know where this is going. It's an obfuscated Everybody's process. Doing Everybody's doing it in good faith that they're being told that it's recycling. Yeah. Well, and the problem, too, is... They did a study and they said that if it wasn't a single stream recycle that was being used, two thirds of people wouldn't actually recycle. Yeah. They did a study and two thirds of people said, if we actually had to sort it, I wouldn't recycle. Really? Yeah. I mean, not that it's but, really going anywhere than when you do recycle. Well, there there is a thing about that. We will get to it. And the single bin has problems for other things too. The biggest one being glass. Glass, when you recycle it, gets turned into what they call cullet. And cullet allows glass manufacturers to reduce the raw materials that they need to make more glass. Sorry, the key ingredients used in glass making are sand, mainly silica, sodium carbonate, and limestone. One kilogram of cullet replaces 1.2 kilograms of raw materials. Cullet also helps manufacturers save on energy costs. For every 10% of cullet included in the glass making feed mixture, the energy needed to keep the furnace at temperatures high enough to generate molten glass falls by nearly 3%. Running furnaces at a lower temperature extends furnace lives and reduces operating costs. And as a result, the price of the final glass product is cheaper. According to a Pennsylvania State University a professor by the name of John C. Morrow, adding cullet to the feed mixture also improves the quality of the glass. Morrow is a material scientist and glass specialist who spent nearly 20 years at the glassmaker Corning. He explains that the melting cullet doesn't release carbon dioxide or other gases that can form unwanted trap bubbles in the glass. Also, cullet limits the deposition of crystals of unmelted starting materials as well as the formation of streaks and optical imperfections due to incomplete mixing of those materials. Finally, cullet has a significant environmental benefit. Adding the material to the mix reduces greenhouse gas emissions during manufacturing. When the carbonate from limestone melts with the other materials, they release CO2 using 10% cullet in the manufacturing feed, lowers emissions of CO2 by roughly 5%. Problem is that North America only recycles about 33% of its glass right now. Um. Because... Putting everything into one giant container, putting that into a garbage truck, and then taking it to the sorting facility allows things to break. And the glass gets mixed in with everything else, and pretty much 40 to 60% of the glass that goes into the recycling process is unusable after it comes out because it's been contaminated. Oh my god. And one last thing to talk about before I get to the things we need to do. The world has produced over 3 billion tons of plastic at this point, and less than 10% of it has ever been recycled once. Wow. So that's a lot of downer news. What can you do at home after hearing all of this? Well, there is a movement in a lot of countries and a lot of states and provinces called extended producer responsibility. And that is that the producer should be responsible in some way to take care of the long-term impact of their product. Yeah. Very simple. Whatever state or province you are listening from, do a search on Google and type in extended producer's responsibility. Insert your state name or your province name. See what comes up. BC does, in fact, have extended producer responsibility laws. Number two, what else can you do? Well, we already talked about it. You can reduce and reuse. If you don't need it, don't buy it. If you do buy it, try to use it as many times as possible. There were stories that I was reading about synthetic dishcloths. Dishcloths? Jeez, dishcloths. There we go. Um, <laughs> being shunned by the population in the 1940s when plastics were first being used in certain ways because they felt too highbrow not using socks that were no longer mendable to wash their dishes. Try to use everything you can to its fullest extent. The I think the problem with it is that we're from a generation now that has been brought up. Yeah, we're, the, we live in a commodity-based society. As, you, as yeah. you asked me at the beginning of this, what did we learn in elementary school? Yeah. We've been brought up with this now. Yeah. Um, that recycling is working and we've all, 
not only recycling is working, we've been brought up with this plastic is cheap and you get it to throw it out. So like I said at the beginning, like I'll still go to barbecues where it's easier just to bring something where you throw everything out. Yeah. Um, It's all about saving time and uh, being able to throw things out. But I mean, I guess it's something even for myself and I do take my time to recycle things and I bring my reusable bags everywhere. I hate using bags from uh, grocery stores. So I always feel like I'm doing a little bit of my part. I know that I've not always been perfect with it. And uh, sorry, I forgot to mention this earlier. It is an anecdotal story, but um, fast food restaurants for the longest time, they always, they still have them. And it's those sorted containers for all your garbage. When you go in and you can put your you put your food waste in one, you put your straw and your lid in the other, and then you put the cup in the other. And around 2018, 2019, it happened a lot sooner in other places too. People started noticing it was all one container underneath. Really? Didn't matter which one you're putting into. A lot of these containers all go into the same thing. This is around the time where China stopped accepting garbage, or at least they were demanding less contaminant in their garbage. Recycling groups actually started fining companies or whoever owned a dumpster if they found contaminants in your dumpster they would start fining you and they would just take your stuff right to the dump since most recycling companies know that people who are self-sorting are going to screw up it was a pretty easy fine to uh, levy on fast food restaurants so fast food restaurants moved to one of two options either a just put one container in there underneath so that people think they're doing something, but it all goes into the same garbage bag. Or two, leave them um, like that, but just throw all of the garbage bags into the dumpster. Basically, yeah. fast food restaurants do not recycle at all. Yeah. Because wow. it is too expensive to actually do it. Yeah, wow. So, sorry, we are talking about steps that you can take. Next thing, we talked a bit about wish cycling. The whole hope that if you don't know, be safe and throw it in recycling. If you don't know, Throw it in the trash can if you're not willing to look it up. Simple as that. Gonna yeah. feel terrible, but it is going to save an entire dumpster full of recycling from being thrown out because you hoped that it was recyclable. Yeah. If you don't want anybody else to have to worry about wish cycling, then the other step is to talk to your local government about moving to a consumer-based sorting system. It does lead to less recycling overall, But there was a study done in 2002 in Minnesota that compared five different methods of recycling collections in St. Paul, Minnesota. They compared single stream and multi-stream. Single stream recycling produced the highest rate of loss at the processing stage. Essentially, most stuff put into recycling bins that couldn't actually be recycled. Compared to the existing system, gross tons of recycling collected at the curb increased by 20%. But there was a net decrease of 12% in tons of materials that left the sorting facility ready for recycling. So less people will recycle, but more of that stuff that can be recycled will be. Why are they still doing that? Because up until now, it has been profitable. Mm, This is dumb. Next, this is kind of a strange thing to say. But if you have the choice between plastic or a metal choose metal of all of the aluminum that we've ever mined and used 75 percent of it is still in use today in some way because it is constantly Um, recyclable that's the other one that's the other ones they have to sort if you can choose aluminum or choose tin because we know how to recycle those and there is no limit on how many times you can recycle it and If you live in a community with a single stream recycling program. The first thing that gets sorted out is metal. They run a giant magnet over top and it just picks up all the metal. Mm -hmm. So it actually doesn't have to go through as much sorting as the rest of the stuff. If only I could have chosen a metal pill container. I know. They don't have to get Altoids. Or or metal yogurt. Again, it's not a catch-all system, but it is definitely something that would help. Tin is 56% less energy intensive to recycle than produce new. So it is the exact opposite of plastic. Yeah. And the last thing here is we talked about the Basel Convention. There is a group out there called the Basel Action Network, and they actually track 
bad behavior and toxic materials around the world and basically what people are doing with their waste. It is a, from what I can tell, it looks like a fairly good group. They accept donations and volunteers. So if you would like to further this cause of getting waste dealt with, they are a good group to donate to, whether it be your time or your money. And their website is ban.org. I'll hook it up on the social medias. And yeah, world's a pretty messed up place, but I think we can kind of get this sorted out and steps are being taken. It's just the fact that they get fought every step of the way. Like you always hear in the news about another city that bans single-use plastic bags. But guess what? Those always get fought in court by plastic producers. Corporations are awful. Yeah. It's awful. And I'm so sick of hearing about them. And you know what? It's the people that have the power. The consumers are putting their money into this and giving it the power that it has because they're after the money. And your power is where you're putting your money. And I think people need to remember that when they're buying these things. Yes, oh. buying buying the plastic, buying the things, throwing it. I mean, knowledge is power and where you're putting your money, that speaks wonders because this is how these corporations are still doing things like this. Yes, and you actually reminded me of one more thing that you can do. It is an app called Bycott, like boycott, but with buy at the beginning. B-U-Y-C-O-T-T. And what it does is you can put what thing that you wish to follow, whether it be you're vegan, whether you don't like Nestle, whether you don't like plastic waste or whether you don't like what Israel's doing to Palestinians and you want to follow BDS, Boycott, Divest, Sanction. It will scan barcodes in grocery stores to see if something uh, falls within your parameters of what you wish to buy uh, to follow your cause. I would say when you're going to a grocery store, that's probably 90% of anything that you're buying in a grocery store, unfortunately. Probably higher than least you know. And that's that whole thing. We've talked about it. Now you can't be ignorant. Yeah. Welcome. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Chelsea, anything to add before we finish off here? I am shocked because I, while I don't do everything I can, I thought that I did, you know, made a little footprint of something. And it turns out that I'm not doing much of anything. And I'm wanting to go to one of those stores now where they don't have any plastic. You just fill up your things. Yeah, it's that really is the next reasonable step that we can at least take. And it is. That is an ignorance is bliss kind of thing on my behalf. I thought I was doing a little bit of something. I guess the most I've been doing is using my reusable bags when I go shopping. And I need to do more because it's not it's not right for me to be ignorant to it and think that it's being taken care of. It's our earth. We all live here. Uh, It's the only place we can conceivably live for the next millennium. Yeah, we need to take care of it. And these corporations are just absolutely destroying it. They don't give a shit about it. And we have to. And we have to put our money and our effort towards not destroying it because they don't care. They care about the money and... And the only thing that really is supposed to bring us on the level of corporations of that size is the government. So we do need to, you do need to. Oh, what? It's not only the government, it's the people. No, people don't have the level. They need to organize and government is supposed to be organized people. Yeah, it is. They're supposed to be representing us. And on that bleak note, thank you for listening to us today. (laughs) Stay tuned next week where we talk about some cows. (laughs) But yeah, probably in the way you would think for what we talk about. Probably. So with that, thank you for listening. We will see you same time next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Journey to the Fringe. Uh, We are a new podcast, and we would very much so appreciate if you could like, subscribe, share, and if possible, provide a five-star review or some sort of feedback if you feel like there's anything we could be doing better. But 
Five star review is the best thing you can do for us as it does help, unfortunately, in the world of algorithms. Yes, please and thank you. And you can follow us on social media at Journey to the Fringe. We don't have all of them, so try searching it. Instagram, we're on Facebook. Right now, we have a subreddit. And if there's anything you want to hear in the future, feedback, anything, you can email us at journeytothefringe at gmail.com. If there's something we're missing uh, that you'd like to see us on, please let us know. We only know what we know. So we're only in so many places. Also, if you feel that we have gotten anything wrong, please let us know there as well, as we would really like to have the best information possible. We are Mm -hmm. only as good as our research. And if you can provide anything further, it's a real help. Or if you want to share anything, we will definitely, we're open to shares. So yes, thank you for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.